Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. It is a great day today, and I'm glad that we all get to be together. Um, If you remember when we began uh, this year, if you can remember back that far in January, I talked about Clay coming to office and drawing the calendar for 2023. And he drew it something like this. Remember this? No? He drew this circular calendar. January, April, July, and October. And then back to January. And I just remember looking at this and thinking to myself, there are a lot of questions. Why would you draw a circular calendar? Um, Why would you go counterclockwise? All those questions. Then I thought, this is really interesting. It's a really interesting way to think about um, our year. That we're gonna begin in a place and we're gonna conclude in a place that is going to sound and feel very similar. Uh, But it's gonna start like this cycle all over again. And we talked about the reality that when we get to this place a year from now, you know, we, we wanted to start to pay attention to the kind of person that we are going to become and that all of the space in between would serve as the process, the way in which we would become, the way that we will be come January, 2023. So now we're about right here somewhere, right? We're right in this spot. So this much time has, has gone by. And so what's even more interesting is that when you start to break this down further, what you see is not only is the years sort of cyclical, but in between these spaces is like these small places that kind of bleed and make January and then February and March. And they're known to us as these seven day periods called a what? A week. And each one of them sort of build and matter in in this whole process that's gonna circle us back around. And what was interesting to me, and the way I wanna think about this series is I want us to talk about how is it that we go about creating a week? Like that that just like years, weeks have uh, beginnings. And when I started to do this earlier, I panicked because I couldn't remember if there was two ends or one ends because it looks so weird. Uh, beginnings, um, somewhere in the middle, right? We call it, you know, hump day or it's this, this place in the week where it kind of tips. Is this week gonna be good or bad? Uh, and then you have the thing that everybody from the 80s was working for. Uh, sorry, it was the, the, the end, the weekend. And if you think about this, what happens is you have this sort of cycle. You begin, you have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then you begin all over again. <clears throat> and so much of our lives, right, if we're not careful, this process, this opportunity becomes a grind. It becomes just one more week. And like we, have, we even have like these ways to pep, you know, to talk ourselves into a new week. You know, people talk about getting out and going, we're going to punch money in the face. You know, like it's something that's terrible. It's about to happen to you tomorrow. So I want for us to to consider this um, really differently or or perhaps in a way that maybe you have thought before, but just need to be reminded of 
um, today as we talk about this series or pursue this series, uh, talking about the everyday ordinary. So much of our lives, you know, happen in the most mundane of moments. I know our social feeds look like we're always having the time of our lives, but some of it just happens in all these places that don't seem to matter. And so what I want to maybe offer is what if these moments matter not only more than we think they do, but more than anything else? That's what I want for us to consider um, over the next um, few weeks together. I've enjoyed this season of our church because we've been working together with a I use the phrase voices. These are uh, men and women from our staff that have been really involved in kind of asking questions and researching and putting together from all the different generations. So it's been really helpful to hear from younger uh, voices and older voices and, and uh, different, just all kinds of different voices to try and you know, get perspective on what's happening and how we're gonna talk about this. And so we finished the series um, on Daniel, which I hope you guys uh, and so we're going to kind of pick up from where we left off or not really pick up from where we left off, but pick up something that we learned um, from last week. And I'm, I'm really excited about the approach to this series because of how it just sort of lists off or launches from this statement. We talked about Daniel and his personal devotion. If you weren't here, probably to go back and listen to, uh, to that. We talked about, it was, I can't do it again because we talked about it last week. You get the idea. But we talked about personal devotion. And a lot of us, when it comes to our, our church lives, our lives with God, or our spiritual lives, or however you would qualify that, your walk with the Lord, you understand that personal devotion is important. And, it, and personal devotion sort of feels like the things that you ought to do if you were a better Christian or a better follower of Jesus, right? That's what it feels like. These are the things I ought to do if I were better at this than I am. And so personal devotion is not just spiritual practices and it's not just spiritual disciplines. It's not just, it doesn't include them. There are no shortcuts, um, but it's more than that. And this is how we talked about it last, this is where we left last week. This is the statement that we use to talk about this. The personal devotion is your willingness. It's your willingness to give your allegiance to Jesus in every matter pertaining to what it means to be a human being in this world. I could have said that with less words, but what I want for us to get, because so many of us, we disconnect these ideas. We think that our spiritual lives is something that happens inside of us and it matters when we come into church or it's in our quiet times or some of these personal devotion times. And we don't really see it as connected to what it actually means to be human, to be a human being with flesh and bones and emotions and responsibilities and demands and hardships and a propensity to escape the things that we don't. I mean, all these things are a part of the human experience. And what you and I have to resolve is how is it our allegiance to Jesus is going to shape the way you and I live as this kind of being in the real world. So this series is going to get a little bit kind of granular and very practical over the next um, <clears throat> few weeks. There are two things, two reasons I'm excited about this. Number one is we are going to, in this series, we're gonna honor the mundane. Sounds fun, doesn't it? I mean, who's thought about that? We're gonna honor what it means to clean and do dishes or cut your grass. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna honor the mundane, menial things that we think uh, keep us from doing the things that we really should be doing. And if we were important, we wouldn't have to do these things 
anymore. And number two is we're gonna honor our calling. And I don't just mean your calling, like what school you should go to or what vocation, what job you should get. I mean your calling as a human being, as one who has been created and intended to bear God's image and to be a representative of his kingdom, of his rule here in this world, in the space that you occupy. We're gonna look at those couple of things. We're gonna just address the fact that most of our lives are, are spent doing things that we wish we didn't have to do. That'd be a fair assessment. So much of it. That's why we have to punch money in the face. We can't just go, hey, money's awesome. I remember I was writing, um, what prompted, I wrote a book called My One Word 10 years ago. What prompted it was this, even like picking a word where this all came from, is there was just so many things that people would give you at the beginning of a year, the advice that you should take in order to, you know, kind of have new year, new you, or to make this year the best year of your life or whatever. It's like whatever the, so one year I just decided I'm gonna listen to all the news shows and kind of read the articles. This is kind of before um, the internet or it was, was super popular with this, but I would just, I kept a list of all the things that, that people advised me to do in order to make this the best year ever. And it was things like eat three vegetables a day, you know, get the right amount of proteins, the right kind of skincare, meet with your tax advisor, your financial planner, meet with your lawyer. I'm like, I don't have, a, I don't have any of those. Um, it was, you know, uh, change your oil, your wiper blades, you know, just all this stuff. And I just made a giant list. I remember looking at this list going, I don't have time to live my life. Like if I do all the things that they're telling me I need to do to live my life, I'm gonna have no time to actually live it. I think that's where a lot of us um, get stuck. And what I found myself doing over the years is resenting maintenance. Gotta change my oil and I would just get mad. I didn't like getting gas. Have you ever felt like that? Like, yeah, I gotta get gas. I can't believe I get gas today. It's like, this is a surprise. <laughs> You've been driving for all week and you haven't had to get, now you gotta like stop and get gas and you're like surprised that this is gonna happen. And it would just be these little things. Uh, Tish Harrison Warren has written a book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary. It's beautifully written. It's a beautiful book. And in it, she says this. She says, so much of life unavoidably is just maintenance. Things need upkeep or they fall apart. We spend most of our days and much of our energy simply staving off inevitable entropy and decay. <laughs> right? Doesn't it feel like that? We just spend all of our time just trying to make sure the wheels don't come off. And this becomes our, our lives. And what we begin to think then is, what if things were different? What if I didn't have to? Like, what, what if I was somewhere other or my life was somewhat different than what it, what it is? And so I wanna just boil this down and talk about what does it mean to be human in this particular culture, in this particular time, in this particular way? What does it mean for you to be a human being? And what does your allegiance to Jesus have to do with that? That's what I want for us to try and, and grab onto. Now, when you think about the Bible, there, there are sort of these, I use the phrase breadcrumbs because I've, I've, I have a, a, a pretty healthy doctrine of, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I understand that we have become temples of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus left us and he sent his Spirit to guide us. You know, the, the language of the Scriptures is that he lives with us and within us. And, and, and I don't know, you know, um, it's, it's, it's this, this imagery that there's, an intimacy that's available to us to draw, to not just draw direction, but to actually derive life from this relationship that we're restored to. 
And, and Jesus in one particular place in John 14, and we're gonna look in uh, kind, of a, kind of follow some of these breadcrumbs around the Bible. But in, in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's about to, about to be crucified. And he says, oh, by the way, uh, it's better that I go away. And that's like, that's, that's like, oh, it's not you, it's me. That, that's, that's the kind of conversation it feels like, right? right? You're breaking up with somebody, it's like, oh, it's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not you, it's me. It's better that I go away. And they're like, okay, there's, this, there's no way this can be like a thing. And then he uses language like this. Um, he says, you know, I'm gonna send you the spirit of truth and he, he will not come if I do not go. And then he uses, he says this, that you will know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. You will not be abandoned. I'm not gonna forsake the protection and the provision and the things that I've promised you. It's gonna be different. And he says, before long, um, the world will, will no longer see me, but you will. Um, because uh, da, 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 da. on that day, you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. It just, just, just says it like that. And you begin to see this kind of idea throughout um, the scriptures. And so my question is, how do we experience this? Now, a lot of us have grown up and I've used this verse, it's one of my favorite verses. I hold on to it often. Romans chapter 12, verse one and two, we, re, we referred to it in the last series. It says, in view of God's mercy, I, I urge you brothers in, in, and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto him. And all this sort of, that's like, we're gonna punch money in the face. That's what it feels like. Because we're gonna offer our bodies as living sacrifices. We're gonna like get all this fired up. We're gonna make a list. We're gonna come in on Sunday. We're gonna get really serious. We're gonna scrunch our face up and we pray, God, and we're gonna just promise him that we're gonna stop doing these things. We're gonna surrender all to him. And there's even songs where I surrender all. And if I ask you, I said, I want you to surrender all. I want you to surrender your all to Jesus. More than likely what you would do is you would start coming up with some kind of list. And it would be the list of things that you think, again, if you surrender them, you would be a better version of what you're trying to become. And it's just all this pressure. And Rick Schaefer, one of our pastors, we've been talking about this for years. And he said, I've got a new way of thinking about I, I surrender all. And he said, what if we wrote all like this? If we just said, I surrender my all. And we just did this. And he said, instead of trying to make a list of all of the things that you need to surrender, you just decided that you're gonna surrender your actual lived life. How much more freeing is that? Because most of us are trying to surrender all the things that we think we ought to surrender in order to get God to do something instead of just surrendering the time and the moments and the ordinary places where we are right here and right now. And the problem or the challenge for us <clears throat> is that what we see is something that, uh, or, or the sort of the, the, the water that we swim in, the culture we live in just pushes us in a different direction. Uh, Eugene Peterson translates that verse uh, Romans 12, 1, that we offered our bodies as a living sacrifice. He translated this like this. It'll be on the screen. So here's what I want you to do with God helping you. It's like this work, this breath, this life God bringing into you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering to surrender your actual lived life. Most of us, we think that what we want or what we ought to be is somewhere other than where we are. And therefore the moments that we are in simply need to be endured in order to get to somewhere else. 
I call this destination thinking. And this begins when you're in elementary school, right? You're in fifth grade. You know when you're in fifth grade, you're cool. Can't wait, man. Elementary school just outgrown it. Middle school is gonna be better. When I get to middle school, then I'll be. And you get to middle school, and middle school's not, you know, not it's like, oh, I didn't do it. And so what does your logic tell you? Oh, high school. When you get to high school, then, then it'll all be great. And then high school news, when I get to college, if I get the right major, if I go to the right school, if I meet the right person, have the right relationship, if I do the right thing, get the right job, get the right house, get the right car, if this finally happens, then I will finally have what I have been looking for all my life. And we just sort of buy into this and our whole lives become this chase that doesn't exist. I was, we were talking about this this morning with a friend of mine and we were talking about golf and this is exactly what golf is like and this is exactly why I don't play golf. Here's why. For y'all, you golfers, you're gonna, you're gonna know, or people who have tried to play golf and have resolved never to do it again. There's always that one shot, isn't there? It's perfect. I could be a pro. Right, this is it, this, this is it. And, and then you spend the rest of the time chasing this mirage, this illusion that you could actually do that again. Oh, if I could just correct this part, if I could just do this and you spend in money, right? Some of you, you lose your faith, man. You're, you cuss more, you know, it's like whatever it is, it's, just, it's all there and you, because it's this illusion that it, it makes you think, like the, the cruelness of golf is that it makes you think that if you just try a little bit harder, oh, you would finally get it. And it kicks you in the teeth every single time. And this is what our lives often end up like. If I, and and you've, you, you can taste it, you can feel it, you've written the whole prescription. And this, this way of thinking, destination thinking is, is, is fertile soil for resentment. Because what ends up happening is you think that where you are, right, isn't where you should be. That you should be somewhere else and that all of the things in front of you start to feel as though you shouldn't have to do this. Here's what I, I learned. This took me about, took me years because <clears throat> sitting in traffic is a part of our lives. True? And it's either a complete, utter waste of time or it is a tremendously formative experience, right? It's, it's, it's somewhere, it's gotta be somewhere in that scale. And actually it's probably, because we think it's a waste of time, it's a very formative experience, it's probably the reality. But I remember thinking this because I have a pool in my backyard. I put it in about seven or eight years ago. I have a pool in my backyard. And I have no trees in my backyard but my neighbors have trees. So guess what happens? Their leaves get in my pool. So I have to stand out there with my little leaf thing. And you wanna go and you wanna dump the leaves over their fence back in there. I'm just kidding, I don't do that. But it's crossed my mind. You're, you're doing this. And what you, begin, and what you do is, is you just sit there and you do this and you just build resentment, don't you? All the menial tasks that I have to be doing just become a seedbed for all these things that I resent about everybody and everything and the world and whatever. And you know what changed this for me? The garden, Genesis. You know why? 
Because what God invited me to do is he said, hey, Mike, I want you to exercise dominion. I want you to rule and to reign. I want you to cultivate the earth and cause it to become. I want you to participate with me in, in allowing what I desire in heaven to come to bear in some way on earth. And so what I realize is that I've been given dominion. I have a, a place to rule. It, it starts in my mind. It's my eyes and my ears. It's my body, my hands and my feet. I've been given dominion over these things. And then God has entrusted me with this small slice of earth. Like I actually own earth. You ever thought about that? I have earth. It has grass and weeds. And, and God has said, I want you to tend to what I've entrusted to you. Do you know what that does to this task? Oh, dude, what are you doing, Mike? Oh, I am tending to the earth that God has entrusted to me. It becomes a cosmic, glorious, high calling. And it needs to be done. It changes your perspective. It allows gratitude to rise. It allows you to process because here's, the, here's the, re, the other part of that. Some of you, you know this, right? It's like doing dishes. I do dishes in my house a lot. I do dishes in my house a lot. And, and there are times, and, and you probably know this, like that someone loads the dishwasher and you go in and you open the dishwasher and it isn't loaded right. And so you actually rearrange the dishes in the dishwasher. So some of you are like poking each other. I can see you. And what you're doing is you resent that this person can't do this right all the time. And it just, it's all those seeds grow. And so what I've learned whenever I'm doing the dishes, I've been given dominion and rule and reign. And so I get to, I get to tend, I get to faithfully tend to what God has entrusted to me. And I began to look at all these little acts that I have to do because what this does, this makes it so that you can cherish the times with other human beings when they don't offer or contribute anything to your life other than, ah, like having kids. Infants do, they do, they, so, so you, you feel like, oh, when they get this age, then I'll be able to. Instead of embracing those moments, as though they matter. And that's what so much of our lives are. It's what so much of our lives are. So Dallas Willard writes it like this. He says, transformation is actually carried out in real life where we dwell with God and with our neighbors. First, we must accept the circumstances we constantly find ourselves in as a place of God's blessing and his kingdom. The first thing you've got to consider is that you don't need to be somewhere other than where you are. The chase, not being able to recognize that will keep you from the life that you actually want. I'm gonna kind of share with you a couple of things in just a moment, but, but, I'm, but this is what, this is what this is what happens. We have to, and I'm not suggesting this doesn't mean you don't have drive or ambition or, or movement or, or vision. I'm not, that's not it at all. That's not what I'm talking about at all. 
But what it is, is that we tend to get so focused on somewhere else that we miss the things that actually are required or needed in us for what is to come. He goes on, he says this, God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. That's good, isn't it? So I keep thinking about this idea of being human and all the human things that I have to do. You brush your teeth, floss your teeth. um, Most of the time, or whatever your habits are. And what I've come to learn, and I try to apply this to my life. And what I'm gonna say it like this. Most of us think or scale, you come out of high school or college or whatever it is you kind of get, and you wanna do big things for God or big things for the world, you wanna do big things. So all of our efforts are focused or centered on trying to get these big things, trying to get to those places we can do big things. We can have the kind of influence we want. We can do the big things. And what I believe is that you learn how to do the small things well, and that is the foundation for everything else. Being faithful at the sink, being faithful in the backyard, being faithful in traffic. It's, 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 it's interesting because, you know, we were talking about this earlier, that much, the, the first multiple years of Port City Church, there were more empty seats in the auditorium than there were people in the seats. You're oftentimes speaking to, you know, three people there, six people there, five people back there. And you can't, you can't go, oh, when it gets like this, you have to know this is what's happening now. This is what I get to do now. This is what I'm tending to now. And if I'm not faithful in those things, if I can't learn to be faithful in those things, I don't have any business being faithful. It was really interesting to me, the number of people who wanted to speak here once it was full. Nobody called you when there was like 14 people in the auditorium. Hey, can I speak at your church? Now it's like all the time. And my whole thing is if, if, you, if you don't do things where nobody sees them faithfully, you, you probably have no business doing it somewhere else. And this is, this, is, this, is, this is why the ordinary moments are those crucible places for formation. And it's not just to get somewhere. It's not if I'm faithful in the small things, then I'll get big things. No, it's being faithful in the small things just is the foundation for which we learn to live. Everything in our lives isn't, doesn't have to produce more and bigger and faster. There are some things about what we do that are just a matter of us being human and exercising dominion and rule and cultivating. The the patterns and the rhythms that exist in creation are are clues for us to understand how it is that we do this. Paul would write it like this. And this is again, um, you know, that, that the menial things are the most important places for us, for our faith to get traction in our lives. I actually believe that me being faithful in traffic is more important than me being faithful here. Because it's in those places that all that's happening in me get pressed on and shaped and formed. 
So when I step into other places, right, you're not trying to manufacture something that isn't already been formed and sort of pushed into those deep places of our lives. It is faithfulness in the small things that build the foundation for everything else in your life. And the beautiful thing is we all have small, menial things that we can practice this, don't we? Perfect. Galatians chapter five, and I wanna give you an exercise that we're gonna try. Those who belong to Christ, Paul writes, have crucified the flesh with its passions and with its desires. And this is just a sort of a, a quick test, right? You've gotta decide, do you belong to him? Right? Have you put your faith in him? Have you trusted him? Where, all those things that you would use, born again. Yes, Jesus has saved me. Yes, I've trusted him. Yes, I've asked him. You know, all this. Those who belong to Christ, it says, live under a different rule because this other way has been put to death. The rule of our passions and our desires. And I assume all of us would agree that if you were just left to your unchecked passions and your unchecked desires, it would probably not be a great scenario for you or for most of the people around you. That'd be a fair assumption. Just whatever you wanna do, whenever you wanna do it, if you just let yourself go, it would probably be a train wreck for a lot of people. So there's this whole other way for us to be governed. And then he says this, since we live by the Spirit, since there's something that happens in us that is breathed into us, with us and within us, he just simply says, almost in an oversimplified way, um, let's just keep in step with the Spirit. And what this means, just as pointedly as it can be, is that it is not a one-time thing. It's just not sufficient. The actual idea of keeping in step with the Spirit is, is, is it's a word that literally connects itself to being a part of, uh, to belonging to something more. It would be the way you think of a dash is to a line, right? A dash is a thing, but it doesn't become a line unless it becomes a part of something longer. It's the same principle. And this is exactly how this is written all throughout the scriptures. We read verses in the Bible that kind of set something up like we have to do something. Like in Romans chapter one, verse 16, it says, oh, you know, um, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God's salvation. First to the Jew and then to the Greek, right? You've, you've probably heard this before. It's the power of God. Power of God to do what? To deliver you from one reign and into another, to save you from this rule and bring you into this one. How does he do that? He goes on the next verse, verse 17, it says this. For the righteousness of God, this, this essence of God, this rightness of God, it's not the behavior or the moral standard of God. That's not what it is. It's, it's more than that. The rightness of God is revealed, is seen, gets fleshed out, how? Said out loud, from faith to faith to faith in traffic, in the office, cleaning the pool, doing the dishes, being kind to your kids, whatever the thing, changing diapers, whatever the things are. Every time you recognize I am tending, I'm faithfully tending to what God has entrusted to me, we get to participate in something that brings a measure of on earth as God has intended it to be. That's the beauty of this whole thing. So I wanna go back and I wanna talk about honoring our call as humans. We get to cultivate and we get to create. So I don't wanna be 
overly dramatic about this, but I want to talk about the beginning. I want to talk about creating a week. And I want to look at Genesis chapter one and sort of what God's view was as this Genesis account unfolds. And most of you are familiar with it, but I want to look at Genesis chapter one, uh, uh, chapter one, verse one and two. It says, it's in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we just read past this. This is a beautiful kind of picture. And it says, now the earth was formless and it was empty or formless and void. It had no shape. There was no substance to it. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. This, this ancient imagery is like of waters and chaotic waters. And it's essentially like this formless, this void chaos. Doesn't that sound like Monday? Right? I mean, it's like, it's, you know what's about to happen. You're like, oh my gosh, I got it. And we wait until we're in it to try to figure out what to do with it. And so I want to just take some cues because what happens is it says this in this next little section. It says there's this, there's this chaotic depth, but what's happening? The Spirit of God was doing what? Hovering over, brooding over. It's, the word is like brood. It's like sitting over there, like getting it all ready. The word is the word they use uh, to describe how a chicken gets her little ones underneath her, eggs underneath her to kind of brooding, brrr, pull them in. Maybe you do that noise when you're doing it. I don't know what you do. I've never brooded like that. So what if we, and again, I don't want to be like pulled too far away, but what if we just said, hey man, next week is formless and void. It is waiting to be filled. And we just brooded over for a moment. Let God's spirit like really let it help us to see and then look. And so what I'm gonna suggest, and this is the exercise for you, are you ready? Um, to, to create a week, you begin, ironically enough, at the beginning. So we're gonna declare Sunday night, the beginning. Can we do that? Because tonight you're gonna go to bed. It's like the Hebrew, right? Monday begins tonight at sundown. We're just gonna say, hey, tonight, Monday begins. And we're gonna begin the week. And I'm gonna ask you to take 20, to take 20. I'm gonna show you what I do, and then you can like do what you wanna do on your own. Years ago, I created these planners. I've showed you this before. They're blank, right? One might say uh, they're formless and void. They do have some boxes, but not like a normal calendar does. They don't have a cover to them, so I can write on them whatever I want. I can create. And the reason I did this is not because I'm an artist. The reason I did this is because there was about a, eight or 10 year stretch of my life where the demands on my time, the pressure on me was almost unbearable. And what I resolved is that the better organized my time was, the better organized my to-do list was, the, the faster and more I could accomplish. And I locked in and I can, I can, I can push, you know, like anybody else. And my, my planners were meetings, there were bullet points, there were black and white, there were tasks, there were objectives, there were, it was just, just like that. And I needed to disrupt that. So what I did was I created something that I, so I take my word, my word is animate this year and I put it on the front of it. And I mark it, started February 13th, this and this one started. And they are 90 days long if I use all the blanks. And on the 20 minutes that I am recommending you do is take your week and you can make it blank if you want. And then I stop and I write what month it is because that's usually a good starting place because sometimes I can't remember what month it is. 
And in fact, I wrote February, then I realized it was gonna be February and March. I had to put March up to the top of it. And then I write in, in these boxes, all the days of the week. And then I write in with my hand all the meetings that I'm going to have. And I write them in. And what this does is it does a couple of things. It helps me to see. I see what I have in front of me. And more importantly, it helps me to determine how I'm going to see. My word is animate, so I write it there. And I just try to look at everything that I have going on through the lens of what I hope God is going to do in my life. Now look at it. The other thing it reminds me of is that the majority of my life is not reflected in these meetings. The majority of my life is not on my calendar. It's not on my planner. It's not on my email. It's not as the majority of my life happens everywhere else. And I want to prepare myself for what is going to happen. It's formless and void. And I want to cultivate something in this space that's going to mean something. I want to faithfully tend to what God has entrusted to me. And the two things that I would suggest when I sit down and I do this, and it literally takes 20 minutes. I look at all those things and I think about my actual lived life and I say, Lord, what is it that I offer? What is it of myself I can bring? And number two, is what will I contribute? Because this is exactly what it means to cultivate and to tend and to sort of create, participate. Lord, so that the things that I'm involved in, the things that I bring myself to bear, and may they be here in this place the way you intend them to be. Those who live by the Spirit, right? Let them live, keep in step with him all along the way. So what I want us to do is, as we close, because this is, your, this, is, this is your actual lived life. What I hope that you will kind of walk out of here feeling is that what God is asking of you is not for you to promise not to cuss on the golf course or in traffic or wherever it is, whatever it is your thing is. He's asking for you to make room in your actual lived life for his work. And it happens in all of the small things. I guarantee, I don't do this very often, if you can find it there, the other stuff is actually not that, it's not that bad. I think the reason most people struggle with the bigger things is because they've never developed a foundation sufficient enough by tending to small things really, 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 really well. And our culture, right, it honors all the shortcuts. You can get a platform, you can get a voice, you can get attention, you can get all those things without any foundation underneath you. So this is just gonna be about you and your relationship with God and your personal devotion, right? To give allegiance to him 
in all of the things pertaining to what it means to be a human being, to be you in the world in which you are actually living. So what do you offer? What do you contribute? And we recognize that much of our life is not represented by what's in your calendar or your planner. But it's in those in-between places are the moments that matter the most. And I want for us to get convinced that that is true. We want for, to meet and to sense and to trust God in those places. And this begins, this process begins by beginning your week. Take 20. Can you do that? Ain't that hard, is it? All right, let's pray. Father, we come to you. You have invited us, created us to exercise dominion and rule. And in so many places, I confess, I've been unfaithful, uh, lack of stewardship, sometimes resentful. I'm thankful for your grace that continues to remind me, thankful for your forgiveness that covers and restores. Father, I just ask on behalf of all of us, regardless of what we have done or where we have been, would you sort of carve this space in front of us, formless and void, like waiting to be filled? Would you give us vision for that? in ways that accommodate and remind us to be faithful in all the small things um, that surround all the other things on our schedules, demands on our lives. Father, so that you can become, or so that we can become the kind of people that you have created us to be. And Father, out of that place, may we reflect um, and participate reflect to you and participate in ways in which your will um, is seen and experienced in the places that we've been given space in. So Father, I thank you for that. I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, who is our King. Amen.